Let me, before we get into the Word today, let me uh, remind everyone, once again, as Keith mentioned, tonight the family, not the family, the Financial Peace University class or service, whatever you want to call it. Uh, tonight, the, the film tonight is my favorite of all the films, but uh, remember, if you're, if you're signed up, please be here tonight, 6 o'clock. If you haven't signed up, want to. We, you still have an opportunity. We've got some extra books, and uh, you can be a part of it too. But uh, let's get our house in order. As for me and my house, we want to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, I want to be out of debt. I want to be able to uh, be a good steward of all that the Lord's brought into my life. So uh, come and be a part of that. Uh, we're in Ecclesiastes, working our way through to the end. We're just taking a kind of a general thing, a theme through here, one, one chapter a week. We're on chapter 9. And the last words of that song that uh, Billy just sang, When I Come to Die, that's what this topic is about today. Uh, our last enemy, death. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 through 12. I'm reading through the, with the NIV version, so y'all follow with me. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or the wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Wow, that kind of sounds kind of morbid uh, in some ways. But he's not talking about what happens after you die as much as everybody, good, bad, or ugly, headed towards death. Now, death's something we don't like to talk about very much. We don't even use the word very often. We just say they passed on, they left us, they went home, they're no longer with us. 
Listen to this. Statistics say 5 million people die every month. That's about 11,000 an hour. About 180 die every minute. Three die every second. But here's the thing. That means if you calculate that, that's about 250,000 people every day go to heaven or hell. 250,000 people every day are going to heaven or hell. All of us are familiar with superstition and superstitious beliefs, usually things that come about in the past, people that were ignorant and they attributed things to happening a certain way. You know, you break a mirror, you got seven years of bad luck. You borrow a pocket knife, if it's open when you get it, you're supposed to give it back open or that's bad luck. Don't enter a house through one door and exit a different door, that's bad luck. Well, here's some superstitious mountain folklore about death. If your dog howls at midnight, it means the death of someone close to you. Pick all the beans in the garden. If any volunteers come up next year, someone in your house will die. Hold your breath when passing the cemetery. I can't hold my breath because I'm running usually. Anyway, thunder after a funeral means that the deceased person just entered heaven. I don't know what happens if it lightens, but if it thunders, that's what happens. They taught us in school about uh, a lot of different things as a pastor, but they told us things we're not supposed to say to people. One of the most difficult things is you don't know what to say to somebody who's to a family member who somebody's just died in their family, a spouse or whatever. You don't know what to say. And uh, most of the time we say the wrong thing. And I've said the wrong thing numerous times. But here's six things we tend to say that you shouldn't say to somebody who's just went through a death in their family or death of a loved one or something. Don't say, I know how you feel, even if you've experienced it. You don't know how they feel. It's better to say, I can't imagine how you feel. Second thing, don't say, time heals all wounds. Just say this, take all the time you need. God will help you through this process. Don't say this, <coughs> at least they didn't suffer, or at least they were doing something they loved. Better to say, I'm here with you or for you. Don't say this, let me know what I can do. Say this instead, here's what I'd like to do for you if you'll let me. Don't say this, or they're in a better place. Just say, they'll be missed. Don't say, it must have been his time. Just say, I'm very sorry for your loss. You know, we don't know what to say. I remember one time, usually we say the wrong thing. There was a girl that was in her upper 30s, and she hadn't been married, and she felt like she was going to be an old maid. <coughs> and every time somebody had a wedding, one of her friends or something in the church, one dear sister would always come up there and try to encourage her and, and poke her in the ribs and say, cheer up, you're going to be next. Cheer up, you're going to be next. She said, that make me so mad. I got tired of her saying that. I just, Don't say nothing to me. I broke her that. Every time we have a funeral, I'd punch her in the ribs and say, you're going to be next. <laughs> and uh, sometimes that'll, that'll break it. Uh, there's a lot of topics that we deal with about death. Think about some of these. Endangered species. If there's an animal that's close to going out of commission, their whole, uh, the whole thing of animals there, 
if it's a particular type of animal, we put them on the endangered species list, and that means we, we try to protect them because once they die out, they're gone forever. The death penalty. A lot of people say, do you think the government has the right to administer the death penalty after somebody's gone through the justice system? I say, oh, yeah. I believe the Bible teaches that pretty clearly. Uh, how about uh, abortion? That's a topic that divides everybody. Pro-life, pro-choice. Are you killing a human being or is the fetus just not even a human yet? Does a, does, does a father have a right to say anything in this? Nope. I've got the baby in me, so you don't have a say. When they're born, then you can have a say. Uh, here's another one. Euthanasia. That's the taking of life that society deems is unable to contribute any longer. Usually it's the aged, mentally handicapped, or the terminally ill. We call it mercy killing, or they call it mercy killing. I don't call it that. Uh, they say 84% of all the health care costs go to people that have chronic illnesses, that have an illness that they just have to constantly go back weekly or so to the doctor because it's just a lingering thing. And so a lot of people say, why don't we, that could lower a lot of things if we go ahead and let them leave. Living wills, a person designates before they die what they would like to be done. They don't want to be resuscitated, put on a machine to keep them alive, or they may want to don donate their organs or body parts or something like that. Have you ever heard of something called cryonics? Not really too well known. But that's people that believe they believe that they can freeze your brain stem or freeze your entire body to 30, 320 degrees below zero in, in liquid nitrogen. And medical science will come up with a way to bring you back to life and you can live again. People pay up to $200,000 for that. I believe we're going to live again anyway, don't you? Uh, through the blood of Jesus. So death is a, is a tough subject to deal with and uh, we, we don't fret about it. We don't worry. The big question, if you know where you're going with an interview, you die. That's the big one. Let's look at it today. Death is inevitable. Verse 1 again. So I reflected on all this. This is Solomon again. And concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. No one knows whether love or hate awaits them. Okay. What he's trying to say is we don't know when death is coming. It's, we can't avoid death. One man told his wife, I'd like to know two things. I'd like to know when I'm going to die and where I'm going to die. His wife said, why do you want to know where you're going to die? He said, because when it comes time, I'm not going to be anywhere close to that place uh, when it comes. Death is not a subject we like to deal with. There's three times I guarantee you pretty much you're going to, be in, you're going to make the newspaper. At your birth, at your marriage, and at your death. Uh, James said this life is just a vapor. It just appears for a short while and then it's gone. doesn't last long. And then we come to death. The old saying said you can avoid uh, everything except death and taxes. Well, some people have avoided taxes, but you can't avoid death. I can tell you that. George Bernard, Bernard Shaw said this, the statistics of death have not changed. One out of every one person dies. Mark Twain said, this life is a losing proposition. Nobody gets out of it alive. Barry Grunow, he left for work on Friday morning a few years ago. He was a school teacher at Fort Worth Middle School. 
teaching the seventh grade and uh, Fort Worth is down there close to West Palm Beach. And uh, he went down there. Last day of class, the kids were rowdy. There was one boy in the class right after lunch that was throwing water balloons in class. And it was one of the honor students. And uh, he told him, said, you're going to have to leave. You're, it's, you only got a couple hours left. Get on going home. And he sent him home. Fifteen minutes for the last bell of school, that boy come back and shot him and killed him. Thirteen-year-old boy. Survived by his wife, five-year-old son, and an infant daughter. Death. You know, it's not just an accident. It's an appointment. The Bible says we're, it's been appointed to unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. Sometimes the young die before the old. Sometimes the healthy die before the sick. Sometimes the child dies before the parent. I don't understand it all. Doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes. Very tough topic. Do you believe you've got enough time you're going to die no matter what? Or do you believe you can do something about it? Well, there's, there's people on both extremes of that. I do believe the Bible does say some things that could exchange your life. If you obey your parents and do things like that. Take care of your body. Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. You can abuse your body and probably die quicker than you should have. Or you can take care of it and maybe die a lo- live a longer life. I don't know. Here's some things, though, that everybody's going to die eventually one day. Attila the Hun, 453 A.D., he died from a nosebleed on his honeymoon night. That's a terrible way to go, isn't it? Raymond Chapman, 1920, played for the Cleveland Indians baseball team. The only one recorded ever being killed by hit, being hit in the head with a baseball. Marvin Gaye, he was a guy that was popular when I was in school in the 70s, a soul singer. He died in 1984. He was murdered on his birthday by his father. Owen Hart, 1999, a wrestler, was coming into the ring on a, on a cable coming down. Something broke, his harness or something. He fell 70 feet in the ring, died. Frank Hayes, 1923, was a jockey. He died of a heart attack in the middle of a horse race. He was riding a horse called Sweet Kiss, and he had a heart attack on the horse he stayed on the horse, and the horse won. The only time a dead man ever won a horse race. <laughs> that's, that's strange stuff. Thomas Jefferson, third president, died on the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, July the 4th, even though really it was probably signed in August. But they, officially it was called July the 4th. He died on July the 4th, 50 years after the independence and he also died at the same day that the second president john adams died they both died on the same day same just a few hours apart death let me give you some scriptures you don't know when it's coming but it's inevitable job said the small and the great are there talking about that the slaves are freed from their owners psalm 49 tends for all who all can see that the wise die that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Therefore, just as sin entered to the world through one man and death through sin, 
And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Okay, so it's inevitable. Now, the good and the evil or the righteous and the unrighteous approach death completely differently. Let's look at the verses 2 through 5 on our screen here. All share a common destiny. He's talking about not the final destiny, but the, the thing of the grave. They're all got to go to the grave. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who's among the living has hope, even a live dog's better than a dead lion, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Okay, let's talk about how we approach death if you're a child of God. The righteous approach death with faith. We're supposed to, anyway. The Christian does not escape death, but we don't view death the way others view death. Death came into this world because of sin. He just said that. And all are sinners. So death was not supposed to be a frightening thing to a child of God. Paul didn't fear death. He told the Philippians, he said, I'm kind of torn. It'd be better if I hang on here and help you, but I really would rather go, go be with the Lord. He said, he said it this way, I'm in a strait betwixt the two, having a desire to depart. I want to go. I want to go be with Jesus. I want to go be with him. So to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Brother Al used to always tell me, a preacher got to be able to do three things at any time, preach, pray, or die. You got to be ready for any of those three. Now, why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did he become a man? Well, there's a lot of reasons. One, to pay the price for sin, to reconcile us back to the Father. But he also came to deal with this thing called death and the one that's responsible, the devil. Here's what it says in Hebrews 2, 14 through 16. Listen to this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, talking about Jesus, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Okay, so he came to break the power of death and the one who had the power of death. He came and he broke that. Now, why do Christians still... Fear death. Well, probably the number one reason, I didn't write this down, but the number one reason because it's just you don't, we don't understand it. We don't know it. We've never crossed that bridge before or something. But here's three reasons some people fear death. They fear what they're leaving behind. Now, I don't know if that means your house and your money and, and things like that that you don't want to leave behind, but that shouldn't be such a strong grip on a child of God anyway. We're just passing through this world. We're, this is not our home. But some people fear all that they've accumulated, they're going to leave it behind. Here's another one, fear of leaving loved ones. We do hate to say goodbye to those that we love, family, loved ones, children, parents. Uh, it's going, that's hard to say goodbye, but that's, no, that's something we're all going to have to face. I, one pastor was talking to a man in the prison, and he said he was talking to him, and the man was troubled. 
He said, what's your problem? He says, me and my brother was in an argument. We got into a fight. And I hit him, knocked him back, and he fell back. Something sharp was sticking up and went right through his heart. He said, I've lived with that all of my life. And I just can't get over it. He said, but what really bothers me, Pastor, I've given my heart to Jesus, and I don't know where my brother is. Can you help me? He said, I can't tell you, son. I, I can't tell you that. That's beyond my ability to tell you where your brother is. All you need to do is make sure nobody left behind is concerned about where you went. And that's all we can do is make sure our testimony uh, stands out pretty strongly. Number three, fear of the pain involved with death. Most of us e uh, equate death with pain, sorrow, suffering. We're laid, we got tubes, we're in a hospital, we're something like this. And a lot of people uh, think about that, and so they, that death is a frightening thing to them. But we believe this book, and the Bible says this, death is an enemy that has been defeated. And Jesus is the one that says, Grave, where is thy victory? Death, where is thy sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians don't approach death the way unbelievers approach death. It's painful and hurt. We hate to say goodbye and things like that. But it is not something, it's just ushering us into the presence of God. Now, how does the unbeliever, the evil, they approach it with fear. Somebody said, when the grim reaper shows up at your front door, you can't go out the back one. Woody Allen, the actor, said one time, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be around when it happens. Now, that's the one way of looking at it. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. He said, every culture on the face of the earth has a belief in life after death. Ecclesiastes 3.11 said, God has put eternity in their hearts. Everybody knows there's something beyond this life, no matter what culture they come from. And he gave a list of a lot of different cultures. He said this, the Australian Aborigines, they picture heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The Peruvians, Polynesians, they believe when you die, you go to the sun or the moon. Native Americans believe that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo and so forth. In the pyramids in Egypt, they embalm bodies with maps placed inside the tomb with them. Uh, so people believe that. Except now, communistic nations, uh, atheistic nations, they, they get rid of all kinds of uh, funerals that have any kind of religious connotation or anything like that because they don't believe there's anything beyond this life. But whenever the Iron Curtain fell, the people started running back to the house of God. China, communist China that is full of, and those people are controlled and manipulated under that, un, that godless system. The underground church in China is still thriving because people know there's something beyond this life. They know death is uh, just a gateway to something else. Uh, somebody asked Hillary Clinton in Rochester, New York, they asked her if she thought she would spend eternity in heaven or hell. And this is what she said. I can't tell you where I'll be. I can only hope and pray that I'll find favor in God's eyes. I want more confidence than that. I want more assurance than that. I want to tell you some things about death that has been distorted. And uh, different religions, different cults have distorted death. Not just death, but life after death. You may have heard of some of these things. Never cease to amaze me what people believe. 
Now, some people are very ignorant, and they believe all kinds of superstitious things. Some people are very intelligent and believe some stupid things. So it, it doesn't matter one si what uh, side of the coin you're on. Some people for years believe God was dead, but Elvis was still alive. Uh, so I don't know. But there's dozens of major religions and uh, many denominations, many cults that go by Christian names and uh, a lot of different people, they have different concepts of death. I'm just going to give you some, and this is not all of them by any chance. I don't know how many of you have heard of Christian science. Christian science is a metaphysical cult, just like religious science. There's a lot of metaphysical cults. Everything is mind. Death, the, the founder of Christian science is a woman named Mary Baker Eddy. And uh, she said death was an illusion. Maybe an illusion, but they got a tombstone where she died and put her in the ground. Death is just an illusion in your mind. There's no such thing as that, she says. She said, heaven is not a real place, but a divine state of mind. Death or illness or pain, all you got to do is get your mind right. It's just and get rid of it. If you get your, if you, death doesn't doesn't mean anything, sickness doesn't mean anything, pain doesn't mean anything, it's in your mind. One Christian scientist came up to this little boy and said, Where, how's your uncle doing? He said, he's, he's uh, very sick. He said, no, he's not, he's all in his mind. He just thinks he's sick. He said, if he quit thinking he's sick, he wouldn't be sick. He saw that little boy a few days later and said, how's your uncle? He said, he thinks he's dead. Uh, so a lot of times... Uh, Thinking something is not, that's a metaphysical cult. We've got to be careful on things like Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They believe and teach in a celestial marriage. In other words, husband and wife, I think you have to be married uh, by official priest, maybe in the temple or whatever, but they believe they can be together forever and have celestial children, uh, produce children throughout time and eternity and things like this, spirit children. Uh, just like Jesus Christ was once a man that evolved up into Godhead, we can be that way too. Now that goes completely against the Word of God. Sadducees came up to Jesus one time, but Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they thought they'd trip him up and say, there's a woman that got married and her husband died, so she married another one, and he died, and another one, and he died, and they kept going, and he, they all died. Which one's going to be her husband in heaven? In the resurrection, you know what Jesus said to them? You do err. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Nobody's going to be married in heaven. That's going to be a sad thing for a lot, a lot of times. If you had a good marriage here, uh, you and your spouse won't be husband and wife in heaven. But that's what he said. But anyway, there's a lot of people have a lot of strange things about what happens after death. Spiritism. Spiritism is another cult, also spiritualism. There's, there's different cults. Headquarters of this is, is down there around Daytona Beach, uh, Casadega. That's the, the, the winter headquarters. I think New York somewhere is the northern one. They believe you can communicate with the dead. They still talk with dead people. They have relationships with dead people. They can talk with them. Uh, Half of Americans believe that they've been in contact with somebody that's died. I won't go any farther with that. 
Reincarnation. Did you know this? 50% of the world believes in reincarnation. Not only major religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, and so forth, but 25% of Americans believe in reincarnation. Reincarnation is your soul lives on, and so it keeps going through different bodies. With reincarnation, there's also the karma. You're going to be reincarnated as depending on what you did in this life. And the more reincarnations you go through, you're working your way to perfection. And they say Jesus Christ, when he came, it was about his 30th reincarnation. He eventually reached perfection. But uh, this, this, this kind of stupidity uh, is running rampant. Uh, but anyway, reincarnation is self-salvation, basically. It's taught everywhere from Hollywood to video games, psychic hotlines, and everything else. We know what the incarnation is. That's when God became flesh, where Jesus, the Word, was made flesh. Jesus came and took on human form. That's the incarnation. Reincarnation is you just keep your spirit. Once you die, it goes into another form, another body. It may even go to an animal. If you didn't live a good life, they say you could go into an animal in your next life and so on and so forth. But anyway, uh, there's not a lot of truth in reincarnation whatsoever the only thing that's true is we're right we're not we're not perfect for sure but you could go through a million lives and you won't be perfect we believe in a perfect savior and the perfect blood of jesus christ that cleanses us from all sin that's what we believe in that's where trust why would reincarnation be popular two or three reasons one is kind of man's way of earning his own salvation man always wants to do it himself it's a lot of it like it because it's a lot of do-overs. I messed up, but I get many, many, many more tries. A lot of it like reincarnation because they believe in karma, which means uh, what goes around comes around. In other words, uh, wicked people that seem to get away with things on this earth, they're going to come back. It's going to get them in the end somehow or another. But a lot of people believe in reincarnation after death. Purgatory. Now, I've always wondered about the doctrine of purgatory in the Catholic Church. Where do they get that? Which is the belief basically that you need to go to a place to be purified before you can go to heaven after you die. Uh, you have to be purified first of all. And I, so I looked it up to study it a little bit and the number one scripture they use, there were some scriptures there that were really far-fetched, but the number one scripture they use is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. And that's where uh, Paul was talking about we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And your works are going to go before you and some works are good and it's gonna, you're going to get a crown of life. You're going to get a crown a reward for that. Other works are like wood, hay, and stubble and they're going to be cast aside. They're not acceptable to God and so they're going to be burned up. But it said in, in 1 Corinthians 3.15 it says this, if it, the works, is burned up, that person... He will suffer loss, but yet he will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, so if your life has been completely out of control, if you're saved, you're still going to have to go through a purification before you're going to be with the Lord. Here's the three views they had there. If you die with unforgiven mortal sin, you go to hell. Number two, if you die in a state of perfect holiness, you go directly into the presence of God in heaven. But that means there's no sin in your life whatsoever. And there are very, 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 very few people in that condition. 
if you die in the third place, if you die as a believer in Christ in a state less than perfect holiness, you have to go to purgatory where your soul is purified until you're ready to enter into God's presence in heaven. Now the question was, how long does a person stay in purgatory? They said, no one knows. It could be hours, it could be centuries, depending on your condition. But almost nobody goes straight to heaven. Uh, that's why they have doctrines like prayers for the dead, lighting of candles for the dead, saying the rosary for the dead. I don't know how many of you know what November the 2nd is. I didn't. November the 2nd is All Souls Day. It's a day Catholics set aside to pray and remember those faithful that are in purgatory, praying to help them get out. They asked Pope John Paul II, who was Pope uh, several years back, they asked him if he was going to go to purgatory when he died. He said this, yes, but millions of Catholics will pray me right out. Uh, so, we don't believe a lot of these things that are taught by others, and I can go through many different things. We believe to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We believe the blood of Jesus Christ is what makes us righteous and makes us pure. Jesus told a thief on a cross, if anybody ought to go to purgatory, this guy has lived a life as a thief, and he, he called out to the Lord right there on his deathbed. He told him, this day, boy, you're going to be with me in paradise. Jesus said that. Paul said this. I'm ready to be with the Lord because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Romans 8.1 says there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 4.20-25, let's look at that. Romans 4.20-25, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, this is Abraham, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him or imputed to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over the, to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The reason we don't believe we have to go anywhere else and be purified is we believe the blood of Jesus is purified. We've been made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. He imputes that to us, not because we've earned it, not because we've lived so good after we ask him in our heart, because he's given us that. And that's what we're standing on. That's what we're believing on. All right, so what does Solomon say? He's talking about death, people approaching death. We're all headed in that same direction. Final thing he begins to say is enjoy your life until you die. Enjoy your life, verses 7 through 10. Let's take it a moment at a time here. He said, don't wait around and sulk and just, woe is me, I'm going to die one day. Enjoy what your life is. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Now, he said this in verse 7. Enjoy your meals. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do. What he says, first of all, enjoy your meals. I can say this, one of the great joys of my life is eating. Uh, it is a great joy, and I'm enjoying that. Uh, I really like when the family's eating together, the children, grandchildren, all that. That's most special to me. Do you know that one-third, roughly one-third of the world eats with forks, one-third eats with chopsticks, and one-third eats with their fingers? But we all got to eat, and we all 
have to eat in some way. The Jewish custom when, uh, in the Bible days, when they woke up, they would eat like a little snack. And then about between what we call brunch, between 10 and 12, they would eat a, a nice little snack meal or whatever. And then their main meal was after sunset. And their main meal consisted of bread, milk, cheese, fruit, and vegetables. They didn't eat a lot of meat, not because they were vegans, because meat was very expensive. They just ate meat mostly on special occasions. Uh, but anyway, enjoy your meals. That's what he says. Enjoy that part of life. Second thing, he says, enjoy your experiences in verse 8. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. They would put on white garments and anoint their head and all with oil and perfume and things like when it was a special occasion. He says, make every day a special occasion. Enjoy it. Enjoy that and, and, and get the most out of your life and every experience. Enjoy every bit of it. He says, enjoy your marriage. Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. <laughs> for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Thank you, Solomon, for building this up. Uh, enjoy all the meaningless days you've got. Enjoy it with your wife. He didn't say enjoy it with your living, one you shacked up with, with your wife, your spouse. It's too bad Solomon didn't take his own advice. He had hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines. Now, most people say Ecclesiastes was, he wrote Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Most think Ecclesiastes was written at the end of his life. And he's looking back over his life and seeing how meaningless all the things that he had that he thought was special, how worthless and meaningless it was. And so he says, enjoy your wife. Maybe he's looking back and saying, boy, I made a mess, uh, a mess of it. But he says, enjoy that. Then he says, enjoy your work in verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you're going there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom talking about to the grave there uh, enjoy your work somebody said if you enjoy what you're doing you never have to work a day in your life uh, one thing is true don't do your work as little as you can do to get by he says do it with all your heart do your best with all that you've got so death is waiting on everybody for the child of god when we die we're going to go see our father when we die, we're going to go see our Jesus. When we die, we're going to be able to see all the men and women of faith who went before us running this race. When we die, we're going to see our family that knows Jesus. We're going to see them again. That's not going to be the last time. Uh, Jesus said this in Luke 10, 20. He said, don't rejoice because the demons are subject to you. Rejoice because your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Rejoice about that. Rejoice. Our citizenship's there. I've been an American all my life, been a Floridian all my life, been a Willistonian about all my life, but I'm going to be a citizen of heaven when I die. Let me tell you this. little story. Bill Broadhurst liked to run. He was a runner. Anybody here really liked to run? This is not a running crowd, I can tell you. <laughs> Only if something's chasing us. Okay, anyway... He loved to run. 
long distance. A lot of people, they like to do that. They like to work out. They like to golf. They like to play different things. Some people love to run. Uh, he loved to run. His favorite runner, his hero, was an Olympian. He won the Boston Marathon three years in a row, the New York City Marathon uh, four years. He was, he was an Olympian and so forth. His name was <clears throat> Bill Rogers, and that was his hero. And Bill Rogers was a great runner. Well, they were going to have a race at uh, Omaha, Nebraska. It was a 10,000-meter race. 10,000 meters is about six miles. It's not a marathon, which is 26 miles and a little, but it's six miles. So he wanted to be in that race because his lifetime hero, Bill Rogers, was going to be in there. And uh, here's the only problem. Bill Broadhurst had an aneurysm years earlier, and the whole left side of his body was, didn't function. And so when he ran, he didn't run like anybody else. He was just dragging and just barely making it. Anyway, he went there because his hero was there, and they, there was a race started where they block off the streets and everything, and there's probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people in the race. Bill Rogers finished under 30 minutes, and he was through. Most everybody else finished within 30 minutes to an hour. Bill Broadhurst, hour and a half, he was still about halfway through. Young kids would see him on the road and start laughing at him. Say, sir, you missed the race. It's over. He kept running. They had the award ceremony. All the ceremonies and all giving out the awards and everything, that was over. Bill Broadhurst was still running. He's still about a mile from the finish line. This is two hours and a half. He kept running. People started honking the horn at him. The cars were back going again. and Everybody had left at the finish line except just a few of the people, the organizers. They were putting things up, and somebody yelled and said, hey, there's somebody still running. And it was Bill Broadhurst running. So people started clapping for him. They saw this guy was still running two and a half, almost three hours after everybody else had finished. So he had three or 400 yards to go, and people started clapping and cheering. Now people started blowing the horn, encouraging him. And he kept track, kept going. 100 yards to go, 50 yards to go, just barely moving, 25 yards to go. When he got about, you know, 10 yards from the finish line, they had already pulled another ribbon across there like he was going to finish first. And about, when he got about five yards from the finish line, Bill Rogers stepped out. And he ran into the arms of his hero. One day, we're going to finish this race. And the one waiting at the finish line for us has got scars in his hands. But he'll be waiting on us. He'll be looking for us, and we're going to run right into the very presence of our Lord, the presence of God.
That's what death is for us. It's not the end. It's just the beginning of a brand new life. So it's only that way if you know Jesus. Would you stand with me? Let me say this. You know, I've heard this question a lot of times. Why would a loving God send anybody to hell? That's not the question. Why would anybody reject the offer of salvation from a loving God? That's the question. Why would anybody reject what he's offering, this free gift? But so many people do. We're going to close today. And so this is my last little message to you about this. We're all headed toward death. Some here probably not ready to meet him. I say that. I don't know everybody's condition, but more the odds are either you don't, you haven't made him Lord of your life, you haven't welcomed him into your heart. You might be backslid. You once walked with him, now you've turned and you're walking your own way. Could be a dozen different things. I don't know. But you're not ready to die without Jesus and you're not ready to live unless you've already given Jesus your heart and life so before we leave here today I offer that to you if you're here today and you're not sure where you'd go when you die you're not sure where you stand or you know you're not right with God I invite you to come and make make it right with him make it right with him if you need prayer, you just want to come pray, you just come to the altar. If you don't want anybody to mess with you, you just want to pray, you come kneel at the altar. If you want somebody to pray with you about something in your life, come there and stand, and we'll come pray and then kneel at the altar with you. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him, death is coming. It's coming to all of us. And there's no other chances after death. Let's pray. If you need prayer today, if you've got questions, if you don't know where you stand with God, I invite you to come and make your way to an altar. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, everyone here has an appointment with death. Everyone here will one day, life will be over. And I pray for everyone here, God. You know every heart, every life. I pray that you would open up the heart, sweet spirit of God, that you would draw those that are separated from you to you while they still have a chance and while they still have a chance to live a life that you created for us to live. We love you today, Lord, and we pray for every heart and every soul and every life. If there's others that have needs here, Lord, that need help, need prayer, got questions, got confusion are struggling in this life, I pray that you would give them the strength to come forward to you. You see every heart, Lord. We come before you with an open heart. We ask in Jesus' name, minister to your people. Open up the hearts and the minds of others. And may we all leave here being ready, <coughs> not only to live for you, but ready to die if that's what it takes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on down. If you don't, come back tonight for the Financial Peace Seminar.